is the All The More Podcast, where we are continually searching out scriptural truths all the more. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Levi Moore, and I am joined by my co-host and brother, Aaron Moore. Each episode, we look into God's Word and search out His truths. So, let's go ahead and dive on into His Word and see what He shows us this week. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the All The More podcast. Uh, my name is Levi Moore, and uh, this week I'm not joined by my brother and co-host Aaron Moore, but uh, hopefully at some point soon we will be back together again. Back in the spring, you know, our our uh, workload as far as uh, school goes, the seminary, you know, it, it, it got got a little hairy, and uh, and then you know, you know all, all this stuff with uh, you know with the coronavirus, um, you started going on and. You know, I'm not worried about it, you know, because you know, it's not it doesn't bother me one way or another. But, uh, but you know, a lot of other people in the world started freaking out about it. And you know, uh, uh, at my my day job as a manager, you know, we, we you know we our, my store was was going crazy, and and then uh, my brother he was you know, having a lot of stuff to do at the. Uh, uh, you know, to do, you know, uh, for his church and, and, and on the farm and everything. So, um, you things just got, just got, you know, really, really busy. And, and, um, and so we really haven't had the opportunity to, to, to get together. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, I thought this would be a, a good opportunity to, uh, to come back and, and, and share something with you because, you know, about a month ago, a, a former student of mine, uh, you know, sent me a message on Facebook and asked me, Hey, um, you know, I, I was on YouTube and I, I saw this, this video, uh, and, and, you know, they were talking about, you know, you know uh, talking about some things about Christianity and, and that th- this author was, uh, saying some things that that you know, kind of you know, piqued my interest, and so you know, I wanted to get get your opinion on it. Well, it turns out this this video was uh, uh, it was an interview uh, by a YouTube channel called God Is Gray, and and uh, uh, God Is Gray was interviewing um, the author of The Shack, W. M. Paul Young. Uh, yeah, I, I'd heard of The Shack before. Uh, I've never read it, um, and I've never seen the movie either. Uh, but you know, from 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 the reviews of it that I've read. Uh, and from from what I've heard about the book, uh, you know, it, it's not something that I would want to read because it doesn't contain anything you know worth my attention. You know, it really contains a lot of things that, in my opinion, um, you know, are 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 uh, borderline heresy, if not full on heresy. Um, but so you know, that, that that's kind of kind of where we are. And so um, you know, I, I I started you know uh, I, I watched this this video. It was about you know a little less than an hour and a half. And uh, you know, I realized, man, there is a lot of stuff in this vi- in this video that I could you, know, could you know could use for you know for other people to hear. You know, aside from my student or former student, and so um, you know, I I, th- I thought this would be a good opportunity to to, to share it with you all. And so uh, you know, you know uh, here 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 in a minute, I'll be uh, uh, turning it over to uh, you know to to this this essentially a paper that I wrote. Uh, and so I'll be uh, uh, re- re- reading the paper. I'll, I'll, um, I'll have have pl- plenty of things linked in the show notes below, um, you know, as far as uh, you know, any references that, you know, that that I've used or anything you know, with plenty plenty of links for you to go search it out for yourself to to you know to fact check me and to verify me because you know, I'm certainly not perfect. So um, you know, without further ado, I, I'm going to go ahead and and, uh, and start start with my uh, with my response to uh, to Goddess Gray and the Shack. On God is Gray and the Shack, a response. Introductions Whenever one takes in information, be it for entertainment or for edification, 
one must always remember that someone else produced that information, and that someone, in particular, was influenced by their own biases when producing said information. Biases frame our thoughts and opinions every day, and they are formed early on in life based on how we were raised, how we were taught in school, who our friends were, and what our culture tells us is good, bad, or ugly. In this response to the interview of W.M. Paul Young by Brenda Marie Davies, producer of the Goddess Grey YouTube channel, I intend to evaluate their discussion as fairly as I can muster. First, I will discuss each person's bias, including my own, so that we are all aware of each perspective and where the skewing may occur. Second, I will discuss the overall content of the interview. This interview is entitled, Why Does God Allow Evil? Author of The Shack, W.M. Paul Young, God is Gray, and can be found on YouTube with an easy search. Third, I will briefly cover the tract mentioned by Young, The Four Spiritual Laws. Finally, I will discuss truth as a concept and how it applies to the interview and the topics discussed therein. On the Biases Authorial Bias W.M. Paul Young, the author of The Shack, was born in Canada in the 1950s, a time that was still watching some parts of the world, especially Europe and Japan, recover from the aftermath of World War II. He spent his formative years among the Dani tribe in Papua New Guinea, and later in boarding school. He admitted during the interview that he had experienced some sexual abuse at the hand of his own father, who had also been abused by his father, and later by some older boys in his boarding school. According to his statement on his About page on his website, he attended both Bible College, Warner Pacific College, and Seminary, unspecified location, or if he graduated. Warner Pacific College, now Warner Pacific University, was founded in 1937 as a private Christian college affiliated with the Church of God in Anderson, Indiana. Further, their value statements from their mission page states that they learn in an inclusive community. Institutions that use language like inclusive typically have leanings that are far to the left, both socially and politically, regardless to their claim to being a Christ-centered institution. With this being said, Young was influenced by his education there. A review by Gavin Ortland of one of Young's most recent publications, Lies We Believe About God, sheds yet more light on how he, Young, views God, the scriptures, and the gospel. References to the term scripture throughout this discussion are used with the understanding that I am referring to the Holy Bible of the Christian faith, to include the 66 books beginning with Genesis and ending with Revelation. Ortland shows how Young admits to believing that salvation is universal, that is, everyone is saved regardless of their choice, and that hell is not a place but an attitude held by those who reject the salvation offered by Jesus. This review by Gavin Ortland is entitled The God of William Paul Young and is found on the website The Gospel Coalition and was published on April 28, 2017. Throughout the review, Ortland shows that Young utterly rejects all biblical accounts of who God is and how he is attributed. In summary, Young's worldview seems to me to have been skewed greatly, and this was by no fault of his own. His childhood was far from ideal. His educational experience abroad was far from ideal. Young's life was not what it should have been or could have been. But that all formed who he is today and how he thinks. 
Keep this in mind when taking in any information presented by Young. YouTuber Bias Information about Brenda Marie Davies, the producer of the God is Grey YouTube channel and podcast, was harder to come by in order to assess her biases appropriately. But I did find one interview done by Voyage LA that shed some light on her worldview. Davies claims to be a Christian. However, as evidenced by her interview with Voyage LA and her interactions with Young, either she is not a Christian at all, for she lacks any semblance of true understanding of who God and Christ are, or she has been severely deceived into following the New Age progressive Christian movement. Her Twitter profile states she is a, quote, sex-positive, LGBTQ-plus-affirming, science-believing woman of faith in the modern world. The interview with Voyage LA shows that she believes there is more than one way to follow Jesus. Quote, I wanted other intellectual, science-believing, sex-positive people to know there's another way to follow Jesus. This interview can be found on VoyageLA.com and is entitled, Meet Brenda Marie Davies of God is Gray. In another statement during the same interview with Voyage LA, she said, quote, Jesus was a feminist, a teacher, and inclusive to the core. God is gray aims to reflect his character, end quote. I think this rounds out her bias with the limited information available. My bias. I was born in the early 1990s to a mother and father who had both come from conservative Christian homes, and I was later raised in a Southern Baptist church. For more information about the beliefs and doctrines of the Southern Baptist Convention as a denomination, you can do an online search for The Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Every time the church doors were open, I was there regardless of whether I wanted to be or not. In my early years, I did not always want to be at church. But in later years, I grew to love going to church. I later graduated magna cum laude from Truett McConnell University with a BA in Christian Studies emphasizing biblical and theological studies. This degree involved four semesters of Koine Greek, the language in which the New Testament manuscripts were written. At the time of writing this response, I am a little over a year away from graduating with my Master's of Divinity from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. While in seminary, I have already completed two semesters of Biblical Hebrew, and I will complete at least one or two more semesters prior to graduation. As one should have already guessed, I am far from agreement with either Young or Davies. But part of that has to do with my upbringing, education, and experiences in life, just as their worldviews were formed in the same way. I have been raised with and have lived in and have been educated by conservative ideals. I also have an extensive understanding of science due to my pre-ministry journey to obtaining a doctorate in pharmacy, which fell short by a little less than a year. I include this detail to support my claim that I have not blindly accepted all that I have been taught in church and school and disregarded science outright. I have entertained and tested theories and ideas that could be viewed as contrary to Orthodox Christianity. Through all of that, I have found Orthodox Christianity to be the truth from which one should not deviate. On the interview. In the interview, Davies begins with asking very open-ended questions. Young gives an overview of where he came from. Young's discussion of his experience of abuse from both father and peers in school, from the very beginning, frames his view of everything he then proceeds to say. Early on, Young makes the claim that, quote, the church is ultimately the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, end quote. This claim, however, is fundamentally flawed. Ephesians 1, verses 22 to 23 defines the church as the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 
12 to 13 speaks of the body being made of many members, which, quote, were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, end quote. Make note here that all scripture quoted or referenced unless otherwise noted in this discussion comes from the English Standard Version, copyright 2016. Young moves on within the same breath from defining the church to speaking of how parental figures should guard their loved ones with a, quote, fiery and furious stance, end quote. This sentiment is most admirable, but one can see that this statement is made out of his hurt and pain from his childhood experiences. He continues later by telling the story about the man who became a quadriplegic, saying, quote, Well, many people, Christians, would say, Well, this is just part of the plan of God. Just think about the testimony you will have now. End quote. The way in which he makes this statement, his tone and body language, seem to indicate some level of disgust with even the sentiment that God might allow such a terrible event to be used for his glory and the furtherance of his kingdom. Scripture tells us plainly in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-10, through 10, of how Paul sought relief from a thorn in his flesh, that is, some unknown physical ailment, by asking God repeatedly for deliverance. God responds to Paul in verse 9, saying, quote, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. End quote. So the well-meaning Christians are in fact speaking the truth. This man's testimony, a tragic testimony that I do not envy, is something that could bring great glory to God if the man remains faithful to God and does not lose sight of the fact that God is still in control. Evil Later, Young moves on to discuss how we, as Christians, should be careful not to suggest God, he refers to God at this point, as transcendent love and the Trinity, this beautiful personal dance of the three persons and an absolute oneness, is the author of evil of any sort or that the divine would use evil to accomplish good, end quote. He says that the ends does not justify the means. The beginning of Young's fallacy here is that he does not have the true understanding of what evil is in relation to God. Biblically speaking, which should be the only authority on the matter, evil is anything done that contradicts the holy nature of God. For example, Psalm 51.4 says, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Psalm 51.4 speaks about moral evil in particular. This leaves one other form of evil, physical evil or some calamity that befalls people in the world. Again, Scripture provides for us some insight into how this physical evil may be defined but the wording will depend on your translation. For instance, in Ecclesiastes 11.2, in the English Standard Version, it says, Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Ecclesiastes 11.2 contains the Hebrew word ra'ah, which is rendered in the following ways. Disaster in the English Standard Version. Misfortune in the New American Standard Bible. Disaster in the Christian Standard Bible evil in the King James Version, risks in the New Living Translation, evil in Young's literal translation. This is a different Young from the one who wrote the shack. Now that we have a better understanding of what evil is, we can begin to delve into the misunderstandings of Young. 
It is absolutely impossible for God to author something that is morally evil because that would, as Scripture has indicated, contradict who he is to the very core of his being. Humanity, on the other hand, has no problem authoring moral evil because we have, from the beginning, chosen our own way separate from God. As for physical evil, God can and has authored this when it either served as a means of judgment against sin or when it served to glorify himself by making the victory over sin that much more incredible to the witnesses and indisputably linked to him. An example of the former can be found in Genesis chapter 19, where God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah due to their sin of homosexual practices, lying, stealing, and outright disobedience to God. You can see also Second Peter chapter 2 verse 6 for further confirmation. For an example of the latter, see the beginning of Exodus where the Hebrews are enslaved and God, through Moses, parts the Red Sea and then crashes it down upon the Egyptians who were in hot pursuit. To round out his thoughts on how God, evil, and love should relate to one another, Young continues on to say, quote, The ends don't justify the means for love. If it is wrong, it is just wrong. End quote. This statement just begs the question, what about God sending Christ to the cross? The ends did justify the means for Christ. It was love that sent Christ to the cross. 1 John 4.8 tells us that God is love. In the Greek, it literally says, The God love is. Hatheos agape estin. God cannot be anything that does not involve love. In the very next verses of 1 John chapter 4, verses 9-10, through 10, it says that the love of God was made manifest in the sending of his son, Christ, to be the propitiation, that is, the appeasement of the wrath of God for our sins, that is, the sins of the human race, not the sins of Christ, because Christ did not sin. Then again, Young mentions the abuse of a child being wrong, which it is, but this theme will be replayed throughout the interview. This theme of child abuse seems to color his entire understanding of God and Christianity. Wholeness versus holiness. Not only does Young misunderstand how God, evil, and love interact, but he makes claims about the Hebrew and Greek interpretations and translations without substantiating his claims. Here, I am referencing the assertions made by Young during the interview. Quote, Wholeness is the same root as holiness in the Greek. Holiness is a relational term, fundamentally nothing to do with sin and all that kind of stuff that we grew up thinking. Wholeness is when the way of your being matches the truth of your being. Wholeness is when how you live your life and the choices you make is an expression of the truth of your being. End quote. In my own investigations, I can find no obvious correlation between wholeness and holiness in the original languages. Seeing as Young's theological worldview seems to be vastly skewed toward the views of unorthodox progressive Christianity, this is of course based on analysis of his educational background and his other published works, he may be applying an unorthodox understanding of these terms expressed in English but found in the original languages. With that being said, I can agree with him to some extent when he makes the claim that holiness is a relational term, but I must vehemently disagree with him when he says in the same sentence that holiness has nothing to do with sin. Holiness, hagias in the Greek, sometimes referred to as sanctity, refers to anything that is set apart, consecrated, or dedicated to God, so there is a relational aspect to it. 
First Peter chapter one, verses 15 to 16 tells us to be holy just as God is holy. God's nature is that of pure holiness, which means that he is consecrated and dedicated to himself, and he is sinless. Therefore, to be holy, you must be set apart by God, for God, and be without sin. There is only one way to accomplish this, but I will discuss this in a later section called On Four Spiritual Laws. To bring the discussion of Young and Davies on wholeness to a close, Young speaks about the theology with which he was raised. He says, quote, My theology that I grew up with said the same thing, that I was worthless. The truth of your being is that you have a sin nature, so there is something absolutely and fundamentally wrong about you. The truth of your being is that you are totally depraved, or as Martin Luther said in the Reformation, you are snow-covered dung, which is piece-of-crap theology. So not only is the world communicating to me that I am worthless, but God thinks that way of me. End quote. Now, when Young quotes Luther, he neglects to provide any reference as to where Luther makes this statement. But I did find an article from a somewhat reputable source that discusses the alleged statement made by Luther. The article states that Luther never explicitly made this statement, but that it is in line with his teachings. This uh, article is found on the website patheos.com. It was an article written by Dave Armstrong entitled, Luther's Snow-Covered Dung. Myth? Last modified, May 14, 2019. Young's understanding of the sin nature of humanity as taught by Scripture is, again, flawed, which may be the result of those from whom he received his theological education in his early years, such as his parents, grade school teachers, pastors, etc. Scripture, however, tells us that our fallen, sinful nature, you know, for example, in Romans 3.23, is the result of the original sin entering the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. Scripture does not teach that we are worthless as a result of our sin, but instead teaches in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, that we are of unlimited value because we were created in the imago dei, that is, the image of God. Guilt and Shame As Davy moves the interview to another topic, Young defines guilt as, I did something wrong, and shame as, I am something wrong. He goes on to say, quote, there is no place for shame whatsoever in the life of a human being, end quote. Young's definition of guilt is correct because guilt is the result of violating a law. In this case, it is God's law that has been violated. Young's definition of shame, however, is not accurate. Shame as defined by Merriam-Webster is, quote, a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety, end quote. I have heard these two terms described in the following manner. Guilt describes our standing with God, and shame our standing with man as a result of sin. This is a far superior representation of how guilt and shame operate, because people are less likely to do something they feel their peers will disapprove of. So shame, in this case, is a means of societal discouragement of sinful actions. Young's claim that shame should not be found in the life of a human being fails to see the usefulness of shame in the life of anyone. No one should feel as though they are worthless or that they do not matter. But shame often produces regret for an action, which is an effective method of discouraging continued participation in such an activity. Gender roles. Briefly, Davies mentions gender roles within Christianity. 
I will not discuss her views on the roles of men and women, but I will discuss the truth found within Scripture. As we have already seen in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, God created man and woman in the image of, of himself, which gives both men and women unlimited value. Neither is better than the other, and both should be treated and respected as such. There are, however, clear roles defined within Scripture as to how men and women should interact within the family and within the church, and there is a good reason. There are numerous books and articles written on the subject by others that are more qualified than me, but I will just scratch the surface of this topic. One of the best-known passages relating to this is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. In this passage, wives are addressed first, and they are instructed to submit themselves willingly, not to the authority of all men, but specifically to the authority of their own husbands. This command is not because the wives are less important than the husbands, but because the husbands, under the watchful eye of God, are held responsible for the actions of their family. Likewise, husbands are instructed to love their wives, even as Christ loved the church, even to the point of death. The reason for this hierarchy is the husband and wife pair represents Christ, that is, the husband, and the church, that is, the wife or bride. The couple is to lead a life that points to Christ's ultimate return and his care for his creation, that is, the church and the world. Many in progressive Christianity and in the secular world have been influenced by the feminist movement's claim that Christianity routinely silences women. Even Young says his first clash with his traditional upbringing was over how women were often silenced in church settings. The passage many jump to when dealing with the silencing of women within the church is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 33 to 35, which does state women should remain silent in church. One must remember that Paul was writing this letter at a time when it was uncommon for women to be educated beyond an elementary school level. So they were then prone to ask many questions which the average Jewish man would have already known the answer to as a result of them having been educated further. So this is why the women were to remain silent so as to promote clarity in the delivery of the sermon or lesson and not allow confusion to ensue by a barrage of questions. Humanity's Free Will At the close of the interview, Young poses two rather intriguing questions. Quote, why would anybody turn from love? Why would you turn from light? Young's answer to his own question begins strongly, but as he continues, he begins to falter as he often does due to his skewed worldview and flawed theology. He answers, quote, Just as it is embedded in the ability to say yes to love, there is the power and potential to say no. End quote. This answer points to the free will of humanity. Some have wondered as to why God placed both the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. They wondered why God allowed for another option aside from loving him and following him. The answer is simple. God desired a relationship with his creation. Had God not allowed his creation to choose if he or she would love and follow God, then his creation would have been no more than robots programmed to follow certain directives. God wants a willing relationship with each person who will accept him. This brings us back to the question of God being the author of evil from earlier. There is, of course, the option to do good or evil, but the choice is ours as free agents. God does not preordain that we commit some atrocity, but rather he allows us to operate under our own direction. 
He is able to use the choices we make, regardless of the morality or perceived goodness or evil, to accomplish his will, though this may delay some of his plans, causing him to have to work out an alternative route to accomplish his plan. A good example of this can be seen in Genesis chapter 11, verses 27 through chapter 12, verse 9 where Terah and his family, including Abram and Abram's wife Sarai, leave Ur of the Chaldeans to go to what would become Israel. Halfway there, he and his family decide to stop in a place called Haran. Terah dies there, and then Abram, his wife Sarai, and Lot leave for the future Israel, but they find it occupied by the Canaanites. Fast forward about 400 years or so, and Abraham's descendants have been enslaved in Egypt, rescued by God from slavery, and then have to fight to take the land which God had promised and planned to give them originally without a fight. If we love God and are in alignment with his will, our choices will work out better for us in the end. We see this truth expressed in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 where it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Young continues his answer of why one would turn from light, saying, quote, We happen to like darkness more than we like light, because light exposes us, and we do not want to be exposed, because then the shame comes up, the fear comes up, all of those things, end quote. This statement could not have been more true. John chapter 3 verse 19 tells us, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Sadly, this is as far as this statement remains in accordance with reality. Interview Conclusions Young and Davies both seem to have suffered at some point in their lives at the hands of someone close to them due to some religious reason or under the guise of something religious. This pain is apparent throughout the interview process, and it pains me that these two human beings who have been created in the Imago Dei have been twisted and contorted by this fallen world. I must urge any and all who encounter the works of either W.M. Paul Young or Brenda Marie Davies to exercise extreme caution, lest they be swept away into heresies that have long been decided. On Four Spiritual Laws During the interview, Young mentioned a pamphlet or tract that he had been acquainted with during his childhood called Four Spiritual Laws by Bill Bright. Young scoffed at the contents and mentioned only two of the laws in passing, but he failed to elaborate as to why he was scoffing. In this section, I merely want to discuss the four laws as they are presented in the pamphlet, as I was able to obtain a digital copy. Having read through the pamphlet, I have found nothing objectionable or worthy of the scoffing offered by Young. It seems to me that Young, again, has allowed his skewed worldview to repress the truth. Law 1. The first law states, God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Bright bases this law on John 3.16. This passage states that God so loved the world, cosmos, which is where we get our English word, cosmos. This term refers to the entirety of creation, but in the immediate context of the original language, it refers more specifically to mankind. The plan spoken of in the first law is that those who believe in Christ would have eternal life with him. Further, Second Peter 3.9 tells us that God desires that all should reach repentance and thus salvation through Jesus Christ. But that is a choice we must make ourselves. Law 2. 
The second law states, man is sinful and separated from God. Therefore, he cannot know and experience God's law and plan for his life. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned, that is, done something contrary to the nature of God and his will, and have thus fallen short of his glory. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages, that is, a payment for an action, of sin, the action, is death, the payment. Death is not a term describing physical life, but it is a term describing how we can relate in the physical and spiritual world with others. When we die on earth, we are separated from those alive on earth, but we ourselves are still alive in spirit. Our spirit, then, must remain with God in heaven or be separated from God, that is, dead in hell. Law 3. The third law states, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. Through him, you can know and experience God's love and plan for your life. John 14.6 tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father, that is, God, except through him, Jesus. This, to me, seems to be fairly clear and explicit. In the original Greek of this passage, the definite article precedes each of the main nouns, way, truth, and life. In English, we use the to specify something in particular. For example, someone might ask about LeBron James, but there are multiple people named LeBron James. The inquirer is, of course, asking about LeBron, the basketball player. So they want to know about the LeBron James and not just a LeBron James. I make this clarifying statement because Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, which means he is claiming to be the real deal. Law 4. The fourth law states, We must individually receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Then we can know and experience God's love and plan for our lives. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 9 tells us that it is by grace through faith that we are saved by Christ, not of any action we have done. This is an individual decision, not something that you are born into or that someone can make for you. Romans 10, 9 through 10 tells us that it is with the mouth that one confesses and with the heart that one believes and thus receives the gift of salvation from God through Jesus Christ. Notice this passage does not say that any and all would be saved without confessing and believing, which is what Young stated in his other published works. On Truth In this final section, I would like to address a couple of remaining ideas. One, defining truth and how to know that the truth has been found. And two, God among other religions. Defining truth may be considered by some to be a tricky business, but I do not think it is so difficult. Defining truth is really a rather simple task, and it gives a simple definition. Truth is that which is in one accord with reality. Logically speaking, it is not possible for idea A, for example, the sky is blue, and idea B, for example, the sky is green, to both be true. This is known as the law of non-contradiction. Both of these statements cannot be true at the same time. Either one is true and the other is false, or vice versa. This sentiment is held throughout the world. Even in scientific studies, this same law applies to the findings. Young, in the interview with Davies, claims that, quote, religion is what human beings do, end quote. This is true. Religion is what we as humans do when we determine how we will worship God or some other deity. 
In Christianity, however, God has specified how we are to worship Him through the teaching of His Word. Young, however, makes a bold claim soon after his initial statement. Quote, But here's the beautiful thing. God, who is love, climbs into our darkness, including our religious darkness, to be with us and, being with us, God begins to dismantle everything that is not of love's kind. And this is why I believe you will find the presence of God in every religion on the planet. Not to affirm the religion, but to affirm humanity who is stuck in it, and begin to dismantle it in such a way that whatever is of love's kind remains and whatever is not gets burned away so that we can become fully free and fully alive. Young, judging by his statements throughout the interview and in his other publications, seems to affirm that there is one God. But he also claims above that God's presence can be found quote, in every religion on the planet, end quote. At face value, one might not see the discrepancy, but upon closer inspection, the problem should be obvious. Young is claiming that the presence of the one true God is somehow woven into the very fabric of every religion on the face of the planet. This is where the law of non-contradiction comes into play yet again. If the one true God found in Scripture is holy, meaning that there is no evil, moral, or physical within him, then how could he be in the midst of atheism which denies his very existence, or Islam which subjugates women under the men as nothing more than property, or some sects of Hinduism which promote ritual suicide of the widow at the funeral service of the recently departed husband by throwing herself on the burning funeral pyre? Some might contend that atheism is not a religion, but I submit to you that atheists exhibit the same faith in the lacking of a deity as those who cling to any deity. God must be true to himself because he is the one who defines truth. Therefore, God's presence cannot be woven through all the religions on the planet because that would make him untrue to himself and violate one of the most fundamental laws of logic. The truth of the matter is that there can only be one religion that is true and one God that is true because there is only one absolute truth. Concluding Remarks during this exercise of analyzing and evaluating the thoughts and beliefs of others, especially the beliefs that are contrary to my own, I have found that my own confidence in my faith in Christ has only been reinforced. To live in this world with the mindset of Young or Davies would be depressing for me as I would always expect God to do one thing and he would end up doing something different because my worldview was skewed from the reality of who God is. I have firm beliefs and definite opinions. I have not been swayed by the presentation offered by Young and Davies. The foundation for my beliefs is found in Scripture alone. Acts 17.11 says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I would encourage all to challenge everything they are told like the Bereans and search out scriptural truths all the more. Thanks for listening to the All The More podcast. If you like what you have heard or are interested in other related content, head on over to allthemore.com. That's allthemore with two O's dot com. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your other favorite podcasting app like Pocket Casts. 
Until next time, keep on searching out scriptural truths all the more.